Welcome to Season 1, Episode 6 of the We Are Speaking 30-Minute Weekly Podcast. This is brought to you by our company, Global Creative Community, which you can access at teamowens313gcc.com, where we offer branding and marketing for independent authors and creative and solo professionals. And wanted to, to introduce my co-host and husband, Keith Owens, who is also uh, the writer of the intro, writer and performer of the intro and outro po- um, music for the podcast. Welcome, Keith. Good to be here. This week, we're going to ha- t- tackle two issues that were in the news this, this past week. No, not that issue. <laughs> two, two others that were in the, in the uh, news this week that really caught our attention. And they caught our attention because both of them have been so long in coming. And so we're going to start with the anti-lynching bill and then move on to uh, the successful union unionization of uh, one of the Amazon warehouses in New York. Yes. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, the, the starting with the anti-lynching bill, obviously, I believe this uh, was, they've been trying to do this for over about, about a century. Yes. Now. It's about yes. a century now. And it finally, in President Biden's administration, they were able to get that done. It's a... It's a it's a huge victory, but it's also tempered by the fact that it took so long. And I think that's where a lot of the focus is, is that obviously we're very pleased. Uh, African, not just not just black people think, you know, white people of good conscience as well are very pleased and thrilled that this finally happened, that this was done and that the, that we were able to get that piece of legislation passed and because it was so long in coming. But it also has to be said, why in the world would this take a century? And, mm-hmm. and also, why couldn't it pass before? Right. What, what, what was unleashed during the uh, presidency of what <laughs> Pam always refers to as the former guy. But, the, but I think that bears uh, intense scrutiny because, right. what, but because many of the things that we saw happen for, we can start with January 6th, the January 6th insurrection. And the waving of the Confederate flag, the first time the Confederate flag was ever waved inside the Capitol building. Mm-hmm. And then also the march where was a woman's name, Heather, the woman that was killed in the march. Heather, yeah, yeah, he- Heather. Her first name was Heather. Yes. Right, I cannot remember her last name, but mm-hmm. the uh, young lady uh, who was killed during the march protesting when these young you know, Nazis were marching, chanting a, 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 Nazi, a Nazi chant. And and again, these and these are people that that former guy President Trump referred to as, as basically nice people. Mm-hmm. And and so these are the things that are happening now. So even though the lynching, you know, the anti-lynching bill has been passed, right. these things are going on. And also, what we're facing, and I want to turn it over to you, Pam. But the I think it's what we're looking at is that on one, it took a hundred years. For the anti-lynching bill to pass, and okay, fine, but we're also facing the erosion of voting rights, right? Yeah. And 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 that's and that I think is a very serious thing, right? And to get back, me the historian in the mm-hmm. family, to get back to the anti-lynching. First of all, it was it it is probably secondarily named after Emmett Till, who was not lynched, but who was drowned in the early 1950s because. Uh, a white woman said that he whistled at her in a store when he was down there visiting relatives and the, the, I believe it was his aunt was, was, um, present at the signing of the anti-lynching bill. I think she was, I think one, so, yeah, sure. she was, she was one of the guests there. And it, so it's named after Emmett Till, even though Emmett Till was not lynched, he was drowned, but the bill is really 
about more than just lynching. It's about the killing of black people right. for well, for that, no that's reason. Considered lynching. I mean, well, that, well they, yeah, they, it's considered, considered it's, it's yeah. considered lynching, although it's not technically lynching. Yeah. And when we talk about how long it's taken to for that bill to come to fruition, well, we all know the reasons why it took so long. But we have to go back to Ida B. Wells. At the end of the 19th century, in the beginning of the 20th century, Ida B. Wells was originally from Mississippi, but she had she moved up to uh, Chicago later on, of course, because of racism and things like that. But she started a newspaper. She was a journalist, and she was also one of the founders of the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. And she was one of the first to document the lynchings. And outside of the NAACP office in New York, they would hang a flag. They, I should say hang, but you know, that they would, they would mm-hmm. uh, put out a flag uh, w- that was changed every time there were 10 lynchings today. There were 20 lynchings today. And a lot of people don't realize the number of people who were lynched, who primarily black men, but also black women and also white men who were for civil rights or equal rights, numbered that they can count, numbered over 3,000. Right. And 3,000 is about 3,000 is the number of people who were killed on 9 11. And so, people, when you, when you try to put the two of them together, 9 11, we were attacked by outside forces. Right. Lynchings are by inside forces. Right. And so, Ida B. Wells, she had a pamphlet, she had a pamphlet and she had her own newspaper. And she, doc- she was, like I said, the first person to document a lynching in the United States. And she also investigated the fact that a lot, a lot of times the men were lynched saying that they had, they had raped white women. Mm -hmm. Of course, that wasn't true, but that was the primary motivation for these lynchings. And so she documented that also. She was really like probably the first black investigative reporter in the country. Exactly, 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 because she was a journalist first and foremost. Uh, But one of the things that she did do was actually document Right. document these la- these lynchings. Right. And so, of course, the lynchings have <laughs> have continued up to the present day. And people who are trying to terrorize black people, they'll hang a noose in the, in the locker room or in, in the closet near their offices or things like that, trying to terrorize them, saying that, you know, we'll lynch mm-hmm. you if you do this or don't do that. Right. And so that's how lynching has, uh, that, that's how the anti-lynching bill actually came, came to pass. And so it, it symbolically, it's great. Now, whether we're going to see whether we're going to see any any uh, reduction in ter- domestic terrorism, that's another question. I think that's that's the, the crucial point. Mm-hmm. I think is, is that it's it's symbolic, which does not diminish its importance. Mm-hmm. It had mm-hmm. to happen, but we need to realize that it is is symbolic. I mean, right. we don't we haven't we domestic terrorism is the real issue. Mm-hmm. You know, amongst uh, uh, domestic domestic terrorism, racially domestic terrorism with. Uh, Against you know transgender mm-hmm. you know gays etc. This is the thing that's really cut. we don't we haven't seen I can the instances of you know black women being you know, hanging from trees anymore, right you know? well, well mean, not anymore that, that, that happened a couple of years ago they, right right mm-hmm. I mean but I'm saying that's not the frequency it's definitely happening but domestic terrorism. And just the general attitude now that it's okay to do these things in the country. When, when was it last year, a couple of years ago, when there were all these incidents of, of people assaulting Asian people? Right. Free, uh, people last year. Last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, just because of the COVID. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the people thought that when the stories were coming out and, 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 uh, and, and Trump was saying that this was always coming from China and mm-hmm. the China's response, that all of a sudden you had people feeling it was okay to, to hit anybody who looked like they were Asian Chinese, you know, supposedly a protest because mm-hmm. you brought this upon us. Right. And this is is, you know, again, a domestic terrorism. Right, and that, right, and that right. kind of thing cannot be mm-hmm. allowed. 
So that was one of the things that we wanted to talk about. And we will be writing about it in our regular uh, We Are Speaking articles. But we wanted to just touch on that because that was one of the things that happened this this this, this past week. week. And we'll be going uh, more in depth in it uh, next week in some of our articles. The second thing that we wanted to go into was... Yeah, well, the second thing that happened was it was an event that very few people thought would would happen. And Amazon was able to, to unionize in a plant in New York. And nobody, anybody, as large as Amazon is and as strong and as powerful and as many resources as they were pouring into the anti-unionization effort, nobody felt that there was any way that this, that this would work, that this would succeed. And, and, but, but it actually did. And it was, it's the, and for those of us like myself who are pro union, it was an cre- incredible victory, remarkable victory. And, and, and it was due to, and the success of it was larger to a young man who was a former uh, Amazon employee. And when he was fired, he began the union effort from Amazon employee and you began the unionization effort. And he's the one who was succeeded in overturn in, in in getting getting a union inside the Amazon plant in in New York. And it was said even I read a story where even some of the Amazon lawyers who fought against him shook his hand with the victory because of his success. And I think that it's it's a tremendous victory. I mean because because of the reported conditions inside of Amazon, but also more glo- broadly, because as we start seeing huge Massive corporations of massive size who feel they're able to do treat employees any way they want. This is a victory that employees should always have a say in where they work and and in the conditions for which they work, and and also just not to, not to give up. And I think it was, it was it was a very resounding victory, very important victory. Right, right. And um, going back to the history of the labor labor movement in the the United States, actually, the first labor union was was formed way back in the eighteen hundreds, and that was the very first one. Let me look at look up the year. It was the people who were making shoes, who were shoemakers, and remember, shoe all shoes were made by hand back in those days. So it started right after the American Revolution, and with shoemakers in New York City, and then it expanded some. In the 1800s, but more as, uh, as as trade unions. They weren't looking so much as as people who were working. Well, the Industrial Revolution was just getting started, right. so these were trade unions with skilled skilled craftsmen who were trying to protect their own craft. Right. And because they were skilled craftsmen, they kind of looked down at anyone who was not uh, skilled right. in one of one of the areas. So that's what it was through until the uh, late 1800s when the uh, Industrial Revolution really took hold and a lot of people were working in factories. And then it expanded to factories. But for almost 60 years, from the about the 1880s until the 1940s, the trade unions were separate. They tried to keep themselves separate from politics because they, they did waft into socialism for a while. Mm-hmm. But then uh, when socialism kind of petered out in the 19 around the 1920s, then they kind of went nonpartisan until the 1930s with Franklin Roosevelt because part of the New Deal was collective bargaining. And so the the unions came back sort of to being partisan in the 30s. But meanwhile, they were fighting among themselves about what a union should be. And so that's when the American Federation of Labor and the Council of Industrial Office Workers, I mean, AFL-CIO, came into the AFL-CIO, and they they finally merged. But even before that, at first, in the late 1800s, the the, the new union membership, new union movement uh, was not discriminatory, okay, they because they, they were, as a, as a, 
uh, pseudo socialist organization, they wanted to include everybody. Okay, but then as they became uh, larger, they decided that it would be to their benefit to discriminate. And so when blacks were part of the union, they had to have their own locals and all of that. The uh, Mexicans were told to have their own locals and the Asians were just ignored, literally just ignored because they weren't even considered to be citizens. I mean, pseudo citizens at all. And so, but then in the 1940s, because of the so-called inclusiveness of the Democratic Party, the union started moving to the, to the Democrats and, uh, but not the Progressive Party. The Progressive Party kind of petered out. Henry Wallace was part of the Progressive Party. I mean, he lost the election. But so, but so in the 50s and 60s, the unions were heavily Democratic. And that's what made Ronald Reagan mad. And so when he, when he broke, he literally broke the union spirit with the uh, Petco. Air, with Petco, Petco and the air controllers and the air strike. controller strike, and since then union membership has since really, really, really declined. But even before that, black union membership really increased because it was it was it was uh, black members who were working in the auto plants and the other plants. They had to fight for the right to because at first to. Because it came from the skilled trades in the in the factory. Because I look, I think about this every day when I watch the History Channel. In the factories, you had the metal workers, and you had uh, the iron workers, and some of those were specialized skills, and they didn't want black people to have those jobs. Number one, because they paid more, and because they were they were high, more highly skilled. So, in just in this talking about hundred years space, just in the space of about 60 to 80 years. This is how the labor union changed. But meanwhile, and especially since the Republican, whenever the Republicans were in charge, it was, they did not think about the worker. They thought about the owner and giving the owner all the breaks, et cetera. And then during the pandemic, which is not quite over, but the, but the last two years, the owners of businesses and, and owners of companies like Amazon, they, tripled and quadrupled their own income while making like making their workers have to go on welfare right. even when they have a full-time job well, and, and i think part of that is is once again backing up in terms of the the the, the viewpoint from that from their perch is that the, those who are working for them should be grateful right for them, right you know? right and that you know and that and that's the one of the uh, republican hardcore republican talking points is and that's where the trickle down theory comes in you know, let them earn the money and then they we will trickle down to everybody else right you right give them you give them the tax breaks you give them everything and that's one thing that has killed people a lot is the, these tax breaks that many of these corporations get for building and then you don't see that money but then the feeling is well somehow or another it'll just trickle down and it never works it's right. been proven it does not work right and to, in terms of strikes of course just personally, obviously, I was I participated in the Detroit newspaper strike, which is the largest newspaper strike in history, and and that again with the whole with with unions. That's why I was so happy to see what happened with the, with the strike in New York with Amazon, and because again it, it it was the feeling that the owners should should be the ones to tell you you should not have be able to participate. You should not be able to have much of a say in what happens in your workplace. And unfortunately, we lost that strike, but it was because of it was because because of that sentiment when the right. when they rise up and and they and they fight against that. They do not want that kind of participation. And what happens with and like you say the the union the the um, membership of unions began to drop. And I think also because people began to get dispirited. Because right. They, well, once Patco you know fell apart, then the, then the the massive attack came. Mm-hmm. It was the same thing that happened in the newspapers. Right. There were so many resources deployed against them. 
You know, right. it was very hard to fight to fight against that. Mm-hmm. And 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 the funny thing with the a newspaper strike is that after we lost the strike, many of those who crossed the lines they formed their own union. So right. they, because they got inside and they realized they need a union. Right. And right. and that and people began to see the the importance of that. And the, just one more thing on Amazon um, is that the comment of the the guy who formed, the, who started who was responsible for starting the strike or one of the most one of the most responsible. Chris Smalls, he's gotten a lot of press because as one once he was fired, he basically went across the street, set up a tent, and he began was fired from Amazon. From Amazon, right? Fired from Amazon, and for what what I would have termed unjust cause, and other people who began to rally around his cause. But when they won the strike, and they asked, and the reporters asked him for a comment, he said he wanted to thank Jeff Bezos for going to the moon because while he, while he went to the moon, we were signing people up. What he exhibited with Amazon is that you can never sleep. You mm-hmm. can never stop. And that's why they prevailed against overwhelming odds is because he was an Amazon employee. The people who he understood the workplace, how people felt inside of Amazon. He was one of them. Mm-hmm. They could understand. You know, and so when other people might have looked at him and said, this doesn't look like somebody who could succeed. But he was one of them. They right. understood him. And that, and that made that, that, that strike very successful. Right, right, right. And, bec- and, and from the 1940s, when union membership started growing, especially after World War II, or after the New Deal in, in the 30s, and embraced uh, collective bargaining, and then after World War II, that's when women and other minorities started getting more equal treatment in the unions. Because if, if, if you remember from history, that when the men went off to war, it was the women who were working in the in the uh, factories, making airplanes and all this kind of thing. That's Rosie, where Rosie the River That's where from. Rosie the River came from. And, and then in the 1950s and into the early 60s is when unions sprout, sprung up in the public sector. And that is because women were moving into the public sector, number one, in the, the, those jobs. And so then the unions were very, very strong in the 50s, 60s, and 70s and more inclusive and fought hard for civil rights despite their own history of discrimination. And so, but then in the in the seventies is when Young might want to you know about his involvement. Well, yeah, yeah. Coleman Young was very much involved in in the union in the union movement, very very strong. Coleman Young being the um, former mayor of the city of Detroit for twenty years, and he was very he was very involved in in the union movement. And so, and again, this was in the sixties and seventies and eighties. But in the late seventies, um, that's when the Union started to weaken even before Ronald Reagan. And they started to weaken because the forces that were coming from the outside, the companies, this is when the companies started taking work from America and sending it overseas yeah. because it was cheaper. And for example, one of the big unions was the, and I don't know the name of it, but was the union that for, for the companies that made clothing. Okay. Yeah, because because that used the to be garment, a, you, 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 the garment the garment the garment industry and all of just about all of that was sent overseas and so if there's no jobs <laughs> jobs in an industry there's no way to have a union and so sending those sending those jobs overseas not not only okay took those jobs away from Americans but when they were unionized they were good middle class wage jobs but then from the consumer side oh the clothes are cheaper oh this is what I want. But then there's nobody for getting those those good jobs. And if like I said, if there's no job, there's no need for the union. And then of course with the PATCO strike, Ronald Reagan just completely broke the broke the back of the union. And between 1975 and 1985, union membership fell by five million people. Okay. In the in manufacturing, it dropped below twenty-five percent. 
And so even now, there's less than 20% of the people who are unionized, where it used to be like 60, 70%. And like Keith said, these days, the business owners are, are looking at the people like, you just be glad you have a job. And the people are saying, no, that's not how this works. You wouldn't have a business without me. And so that's, that's kind of what the, the, the fight is right no, now. I, I, well, go ahead. No, no, I was, I was just saying. Right, because I think that's, that's exactly it. And unfortunately, sometimes the, the, there, are, there are workers who buy into that right, because, right. out of fear because they could, when people start raising their voice you forget mm-hmm. same as the civil rights movement it's not everybody jumps on board because they're afraid right, right. And, 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 and and Amazon any strike not everybody does because they're afraid we'll lose our jobs right. raise your voice we'll lose our jobs It's it's and it's understandable I mean, mm-hmm. people have their job but you can't necessarily criticize someone for being afraid these are not people who can just automatically get, an, automatically get another job right. anywhere right. but that's why I look at there are I won't call it by name but there's stores now who are beginning to do with no with no checkout people right you right, know right. Now, now they're beginning these stores and, and where you can just go in and you have your and you have your amazon code you have your code and you just put that and you just check out get whatever you want and and there's no no checkout person right, at all right. and that's why i will not go to those stores because it's another anti-unionization because you're putting everything on machines and but i will say there is there's always a balance. You have to be you know careful because I remember when one of the one of the very first newspaper stores I ever did was was CAD CAM Engineering, computer aided design. Right. When they were when 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 because cars used to be designed by basic models. Right. But then but then when computers came, they could design them on the computer. Right. And so there there was a big pushback for many unions because they're afraid like well this is going to cause job because you're you're designing car and you're not using union workers, et cetera. Well, some change will happen. Right. And I think, and you have to balance it against when unions have to realize and, and adjust to that change. Mm-hmm. You know, don't push back against the wave of the water, adjust and adapt. Right. Certain things are going to come, but then other things you should push back right. against. And, right. and, and the important thing is, is people. And so protect your people, no matter what. And that's what the, what the Amazon workers are saying, is that you have to protect your people. Mm-hmm. Because well, the people are what make your business. You said earlier, that's what you wouldn't have the company. If there was nobody showing up to work right. at Amazon, there would be no Amazon. Right, right. And so you want to protect the conditions and, and make and and treat your employees well. Right, right. And this is this is what I'm always arguing about because when I run into these people who are talking about the, the the people are lazy and don't do this and don't do that. And all they want to do is live off the government uh, dole and all of that. So number one, that's not true. And I remind them that people, and I'm, I'm going to say it's some people who work at Amazon, mm-hmm. people who work at Walmart, right. places like that, they are working full. Well, no, no they're not working full time because um, deliberately they are not given full time hours. Right. Okay. That's right. that's and right. so, and that's on purpose because if you give them full time hours, then you have to pay benefits. benefits. So right. they're given just enough hours, just below full time. Number one, number two, they aren't given regular part time hours. One week they're working, you know, the mornings, the next week they're working afternoon and they don't know, they don't know what they're doing, you know, what their hours are from week to week. And also somebody has to mop the floors. Somebody has to stock the shelves. Somebody has to do that kind of work. And so, but then they also need to be able to raise a family on what they're on what they're making and so these are the kind of working conditions that uh they're they're trying to form a union about and when i went to whole i'll never forget i went to whole foods and the day after jeff bezos decided to take health care 
away from the Whole Foods workers. Mm-hmm. You know, Whole Foods is owned by Amazon. Right. And I felt so bad. I was looking at one of the workers. I almost wanted to cry. He's working just as hard as he was the last time I was there, but now he has no health care coverage. Right. And the thing about the benefits I want to point out is that what's really sinister about that is that just because they're on the they're marked for a certain amount of hours mm-hmm. just below so you don't pay them full so they don't get the benefits does not mean they don't work overtime but they're right. not paid overtime. They're not paid for overtime. So, right. so that's how they can get them to work, you know, ungodly amounts of hours, mm-hmm. but they don't have to pay it. Right, right. And so it, there's all kind of tricks that get mm-hmm, used. Mm-hmm. And so this is why me and Keith probably are also hoping that the union movement gets strong again because it, the 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 wage differential between the owners and the workers has exploded, and especially over the last forty some years, and especially over the last two years during the pandemic, the 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 difference between what the owners are making and what the employees are making is the it, it's 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 gigantic. And so we wanted to talk about those two things about the anti lynching bill and how how that came about in the history of lynching in the United States and celebrate with with that Amazon store that uh, became unionized and a little bit about the history of unions in the United States. Right. So we hope you enjoyed this episode and we will talk to you next week. Yep. See you next week. Uh-huh.